Good morning, everybody. Um, with that, uh, uh, with, after a slight delay, we'd like, to, we'd like to start the live seminar. So, um, firstly, um, let me welcome everybody um, to the Actual Society's Life Assurance Seminar. We've got a, a great lineup of speakers today, so I really hope you, you enjoy it and that you benefit from it. Um, before I, before I uh, continue with the introductions, uh, I won't be speaking again today, so um, just afford me the opportunity um, to, to thank uh, Nikki. Uh, Nikki arranges the seminar every year. She, um, she does a lot of work chasing speakers, um, chasing chairs for the sessions, getting the presentations right, helping people to correct presentations at the last minute, doing all those kinds of things. Um, so can everybody please, please give a round of applause to Nikki because um, we're very grateful and indebted to her. Thanks. Right, with that, we can maybe just first get the admin out of the way. Um, the usual announcements apply, so um, please remember to turn off your cell phone or keep it on silent. Um, the bathrooms are outside just down the passage for those that haven't noticed. And um, just a reminder um, to get your parking tickets for Melanie if you have parked in the convention center parking. Right, then a final important announcement is uh, that, this, that we will be recording the seminar today to allow members that can't attend the seminar to get access um, to, to get access to the presentation. So I hope it doesn't prevent you from asking questions and making um, controversial comments, but it is maybe just worth keeping in mind when you do make them. Um, right, so with that, um, I would like to introduce our first speaker. It's, it's really a great privilege to, to have Ian Cruikshanks. Um, Ian sent us a, a very comprehensive CV. Um, Ian, Ian asked us to, or at least his, his CV told us that he is, um, and, and I'm sure you know that, he has a career in financial investment markets and he's a frequent commentator in media, radio and TV. So with that, um, I, um, I'm going to hand over to Ian. I'm really looking forward to, to hearing what he has to say. Um, thank you very much, Ian. Good morning. As you know, my name's Ian Cruikshanks, and you're probably going to say, another gray economist. Nothing doing. There's nothing more exciting and vital than having some sort of rational idea as to where the economy is going and to, if necessary, address it in a controversial manner. Well, we're going to do that. Let's just say, and in, and in fact, I'd I like to follow uh, ex-president, US President Bill Clinton. If he didn't know the answer, he'd say, it's all about the economy. Well, we know some of the answers. We're going to propose some of them, and it is all about the economy. And this really is the hottest subject in town. And over here, it's getting a bit warm, so if you don't mind, I'll take my jacket off. Okay, so let's have a look at what we're not going to say before we say what we will say. First of all, you ask an economist for opinion, and what's the first thing he says? He plays it safe, on the one hand, and on the other hand, of course. So you say, but that's not a view, that's not a recommendation, it's not a firm opinion. It's like a weather report, it may rain and it may not. That's not a great help. The other thing that economists traditionally say is, you ask them a question and they say, well, let's see, all things being equal. Hey, this is South Africa, it's an unequal, unbalanced, immature, irrational society. You can't possibly justify saying that. So I won't say that either. So hopefully this is where we're going to get something just a little bit out of the ordinary. 
And if I can turn on here, yes. So let, we'll look, start by looking at current data. What does it mean to us? That's really what counts. Um, it's, it, it, the current period is undoubtedly the, uh, the, the greatest period of, uh, of uncertainty that we faced for a long time. And, and I think that uh, this, we have to understand that we're in the only constant at the moment is change. And that is going to carry on for the foreseeable future. And it's not going to be an easy road. We're going to have to get used to continuing to, li to, to live in our discomfort zone. All right. So let's look at the reason, recent uh, business uh, climate outlook. Doom and gloom has been the, the message of the day. However, there's some faint light of rescue on the line, on the way, and that's called Mr. Ramaphosa. However, one man does not make a, a nation change overnight, and that's part of our problem right now. We are still the gateway to Africa. However, that in itself has limited, limited potential. What we have to realize is that uh, some decades ago, uh, Africa produced 1% of global GD GDP. We produced 0.7% of that. Of that. Now, now, Africa produces 3% of GDP, and we're still at 0.7%. We're losing our way in our own economic backyard. And I think that just sums up the situation right now. So what we'll do then is look at some data, try to analyze it. There will, of course, be different interpretations. It's like looking at a work of art. I may like, a, a, you may like a, a Pirniev, because you can see what it is, beautifully presented, beautifully, beautifully colored, where I may like a Picasso, because I like to be stimulated into saying, gee, what if it could be this or that? All right, so to go on to there, we have to understand the challenges. We have to understand the prospects that we have and what we've got to look forward to. Okay, I would like to say that if you're watching the slides, it won't be verbatim just according to that. You could read it on your own. You wouldn't need me, but I'm going to just deviate a little bit from time to time from those. If we have a look at, at, the, at the World Economic Forum, uh, just let's have a look at, at where, where we are in the global outlook. The, world, the IMF did some global GDP outlooks recently, uh, a month or so ago, and what they said was if we look at last year, the world GDP was, was uh, rose at 3.5%, and this year they're looking at 3.9%. It is an increase, and if you think of the size of the data going into it, that's fair enough. If you look at developed economies, on whom we, d d d uh, on whom we rely to give for our stimulation, 2.1% last year going up to 2.5% this year. Um, let's look at developing nations, of which we are part. 4.6, 4.9 this year, that's where the action is. And so what are we doing? 1.3 last year, and hopefully 1.5 this year. What I would like, that, that's having just been revised up from 0.9, but what I would like to have to point out is that uh, the IMF and the World Bank both are historically quite optimistic and, and subject to frequent declines in, in their outlooks. So I think what you have to say then, let's say that's the best case outlook, if, if, best, if the best case is that we could grow at 1.5%, that's not progress. The population's growing at 2%. That means you can be, almost be guaranteed, considering this may be an optimistic and subject to, to, to downward revisions, an optimistic outlook, uh, what it means is the country as a whole is getting poorer on a per-person basis. Now, that is an important standpoint. Um, if we look at what's happened over time, we have begun, we have just, I think, steadily been losing our way and, and dropping further back. If we have a look at, at, at why I should say that, GDP 
uh, over a period from 1996, just after democracy, uh, up until 2016, was an average of 3% per annum. Emerging markets were an average of 5.6%. Even the whole world as, as a whole was at 3.6%. So quite clearly, we're dropping further back from the world and from our own sector. And I think that that's, that's what we have to realize. This is not something one new president can take on and reverse in a moment. So what, what we find then is what has government actually been doing? They've been preoccupied with redressing previous social, social imbalances. And the result has been an inefficient utilization of resources. Yes, you've got to feed people, but we've got to build an infrastructure. And that has not been happening. An example, look at Eskom. Look at the roads. Really, the whole structure is not progressing. The finance minister says some of the problems uh, are that we've got, we, we're ridden by corruption, crime, inadequate service delivery, social unrest. How can you expect other people, to, other foreigners, to come and invest in South Africa when you've got people shouting from the streets about expropriation without compensation? That's not an encouragement for foreign, uh, for foreign uh, uh, investors. The reality check, it is, it is interesting that uh, in the municipal, recent municipal elections, there was what we could call an, a crossing of the floor. There wasn't that, many, there was, there wasn't that much of a swing to either, either parties, but there was a huge increase in the, in, the, in the stay away votes. And I think this just goes to show the frustration that there is amongst the public as a whole. And with that, you don't get a lot of confidence, you don't get business confidence, and you don't get uh, consumer confidence, which is why we, we say that we're probably going to be looking at a 1% growth rate with luck. Now, if the population's growing at 2%, that's not going forwards, is it? So just looking at the next slide then, what we have to have is, is structural change. Look at what happened in pre under, under President Zuma. He twice, in fact several times, promised uh, infrastructure development of 900 billion uh, in five years and five million new jobs. That was fantasy. There's no way we could do that. There was no, no, no backing for that. And I think what we're seeing now is that uh, we, we, we've been uh, We've been delayed in making a head start because resources have been sent to the wrong areas. And what has happened? Let's just look at the infrastructure I talk about. We want to see a, a company like Murray and Roberts, what the people who built the car train, who built the Carlton Center, massive engin engineering feats, who have built extraordinary buildings in Dubai and other places around the world, who are at the forefront of development in, in, in undersea mining in Australia. And what did they do? They've packed up. They've left South Africa from a construction point of view. Now, that's a terrible condemnation. Uh, I think what it says is that they don't see a future here. Where's the future of building in South Africa? You speak to the building supply companies and they say, well, we've got, still got the bucky builders, the one-man shows. You know, that isn't enough to build an economy and it's something that Mr. Ramaphosa cannot overcome and rebuild in a day. So what is, the, what is the outlook now? Well, worst case could be stagflation. Stagnant economy and inflation. Inflation, you say we've beaten that. Really? Have a look at the oil price at $77 a barrel and where the rand is at over 12 rand 50. If you take the rand cost of a barrel of oil, it's about 980 rands a barrel. Six months ago, maybe 12 months ago, let's say, it was 660. It's gone from 660 to 980 rands a barrel of oil. 
Do you think we can avoid inflation? I'm afraid we can't. It's going to come back, and I think that we're going to see some, uh, it's going to delay the upturn probably for some significant time. Okay, going on from there, looking at a global view, economic activity, I think it must be uh, expected, is going to carry on subdued for longer, and as the uh, IMF said, there's a lack of robust improvement in advanced economies. We need those because we've got to have them as markets for our base commodity ex ex exports. That's what we do best. We dig stuff out the ground and we sell it in a non-beneficiated way, as is. We're brilliant miners. Uh, the finest technology in the world in that respect, but we're not good at refining it and carrying on with the finished product. If we look at manufacturing, really uh, we're becoming less and less productive there. And we've got some comments on that shortly. Um, if we have a look at what's happening in the rest of the world, the mining sector, the, the, sorry, the banking sector has had massive amounts of liquidity pushed through it, but it wasn't enough to save Lehman Brothers, the blue-blooded head uh, leader of investment banks in America and in the world if it comes to that, and it just shows nothing is too big to fail, and we've got to be wary about that in our own, in our own area. There's no quick fix from these the liquidity injections. It means that funds have just got underutilized. In interest rates, yes, have gone down to close to zero, but I think that that is changing, and we've got something to point in that direction. Risk appetites, which is what's needed for fixed investment, they're just disappearing. We're finding that it's rather put the money in a safe haven than invest for, 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 for a potential risky growth outlook. And what is, what is that doing to investment in South Africa? Fixed investment, uh, fixed investment in factories and fittings and machinery and so on has ground to a halt. Is it going to change? Well, when you've got people saying expropriation without, without payment, it's not. It's not going to change. Not until, until when? Well, I'd propose that we're not going to see much change until after the next election, the middle of next year. So just say that justifies why we've got a fairly, uh, con a fairly conservative outlook. There is money still coming into the country, but it's not, it's not use useful for building. If you just look at what's happening into the JSC, the bond market, 23 billion so far, 23 billion has flowed into South African bonds through the JSC. Equity market, foreign investors have bought 29 billion, it was up to the end of last month. Now that's 50, over 50 billion, but it's hot money. It can turn around at a moment. It's not going to building the economy. And I think the investors, it just goes to back the investors that are primarily want to have a parking ground, get a decent return, and but to them, the return of money is more important than the return on money. They don't mind taking close to zero returns, but there's no growth preference there. And I think that that is really critical. So we just look then at the global central bankers. I think that uh, they're, they're all waiting to see when the recovery is. Just the same thing again. When the recovery is going to start, look at America. Certainly, I don't see that they are doing much with a, with a turn in the interest rates. Uh, starting to increase. That's not encouraging new development there. Uh, in, over in Europe, President Draghi says, you'll do whatever it takes to preserve the euro. That's going to mean keeping interest rates at a record low, but it's not channeling that money into new development areas. Now you say, well, what makes me say that there is change? This is a graph, obviously goes back nearly 100 years, uh, on uh, the US 10-year treasury rate the U.S. 10-year government bond rate. And if you look at that red line, that red dot you can see about 1985, 
That was Black Monday. We came in on a Monday, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average had fallen by 22% on the Friday. That was, the that was a true disaster. And so liquidity was pumped in, uh, the markets steadied, and from that time, 1985, we saw the interest rate on that 10-year Treasury come all the way down from 15% down to under 1%. For the first time in 30 years, look at that little tail there. It's turned up. It's broken that downtrend. Now, you uh, mathematically inclined people know that when you get a change like that, a strong trend turning around like that, it says something Something vital is going to happen. We can't say what it's going to be, but it does say that the balance in the world economy is changing. It's difficult to see that it could be for the better. What that means is, as far as we're concerned, we, we, we would have to accept that our next interest rate trend is going, is, is going to turn up. We're not going to get another rate cut, or let's say it's very unlikely, and I think the next change in South African interest rates will be higher, and once again, that has the potential to slow the uh, potential recovery in the economy. So what are the problems apart from that, apart from capital flows? Our labor force, our labor force continually striking and it's going on, just look at the bus strike. Uh, and that just doesn't affect the commuters, it affects all levels of business because it backs, backs up to all those people who are not getting in time, get, not getting in in time to do their job and, and really it slows the whole work, work sector down. What we need to do is to try and find a new way of thinking about work. Uh, we have to say there's no such thing as deserving a job, as expecting it as a right. We should follow the Asian ethic where employment is a privilege and we don't do that. And until we can overcome that, we don't getting the impetus that we need to back the president in a new strategy. And I think that's very important. Uh, there's no such thing. As, as expectations that deserve to be met. They've got to be earned. Then if we have a look at, uh, at the RAND, uh, because that's very important from a production point of view, input cost point of view, we're seeing lower production vol volumes, uh, we're seeing rising unit costs, a large part of it because so much of our input is, 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 is foreign currency denominated and the RAND has been performing very poorly so recently. I think what we're seeing is becoming less globally private price competitive, uh, that what that is doing is risking less investment, that means lower profitability, lower revenue, uh, we, we're seeing job losses, capital flight, it's a, it's a horrible vicious circle, but I'm afraid we have to acknowledge that that is where we are and the risk is that could intensify. What we should be having is, uh, is, is value creation, I'll be brave here and say I think we should not have minimum wages, we should, should have, must have payment for a job on a value basis, but uh, it's a question of supply and demand, and to our mind, rather have people active and earning some, earning a little than nothing at all. Uh, just a personal anecdote, uh, I was speaking to a, a gardener recently, and he said to me, he said, oh, he's desperate for work, he said, the other day he worked a whole day for 50 rand, I said, gee, that's extortionate, why did you do that? And here's the root of the problem, he said to me straight out, half a brown is better than no bread. Let's speak to the workers and see what they're prepared to do. And you may find there's more of that. If we have another halving of, of, of a basic cost input, you may find that our companies become more productive, more globally price competitive, and that in due course will lead to greater output and new, new job creation and uh, hopefully 
uh, more participation in the, in the economy as a whole. All right, so let's go on to there. That's a virtuous circle. It's avoiding us at the moment. We've spoken to several uh, foreigners, foreign companies who either were here or are considering not being here. And they say to, we say to them, what is it that's going to encourage you to invest in South Africa, to utilize our first-class financial facilities, the fantastic uh, 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 base that we have to work from, the so-called gateway to Africa. And one of them, an American, head of an American car manufacturing company, and that's easy to work out who it was, said to us, three things. Give us these things, assure us of them, and we'll build another factory. First is security of assets. Don't come to me and say, uh, gee, yes, the BE regulation says you've got to have 20%. This is your, your minimum rate. Uh, and then come back in two years' time and say, wow, this business is doing well. We've changed the BE re, uh, requirement to 50%. No, 51%. And we're not going to pay you. You'll just have to give it to us on a, on a dividend basis. You know, he says, that's, there's no security for our capital in that. So that, that's bad news. The other thing is that you've got to assure us of 100% reliability of a cost-effective electricity supply. And we're not doing that. And the third thing is your labor movement has to understand there's a straight line between productivity and reward. We want to reward them more because it will be, mean that in due course more vehicles will be sold. But he said until you realize that uh, your productivity is, is, is at a sore level at the moment. He said they had taken an output per person comparison. They said in South Africa let's call it two units per day. In the US it's five units per day. In China it's six units per day. Now tell me, he said, why do, you want, why do you think I can justify investing in South Africa? We've got to find a way of overcoming this, and uh, we've got to realize that we get what we deserve. We don't have to expect it and to be delivered on our laps. All right, so to go on from there, we mentioned how we've lost our place and been downgraded. Um, let's go on from there and say, uh, what we have to say is, what is government doing? They are, in fact, trying to do something. They lead the way in job creation. But look at how they're doing it. They're, 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 all their operations are grossly inefficient, overburdened with excess staff. Uh, if you speak to, to uh, school or university leaders, you say, where do, where do you want to work? Oh, we want to work for the government. Why? Well, because we get paid 40% more than the private sector. Once they're in, they don't have to work too hard. They say, that's a wonderful situation. Why should we want to work anywhere else? We have to try and overcome that. And I think uh, if, we, if we don't get over that, inevitably, in due course, the private sector risks shrinking. And then there'll be even fewer jobs. So that's what we're facing right now. Um, just looking at foreign capital, foreign companies, as I said, our experience with this American motor manufacturer, he just said, capital security, electricity supply, wages, reasonable wages based on productivity, We've got to get those. We have to get those. And I think Mr. Ramaphosa is aware of that. It's just finding something to be done about it. But uh, we'll come to that in a moment. What we see then is there's been, there's been increased demand for social grants. It's, that's going to rise and that's going to mean uh, there's, there's taking away from productivity uh, in, into, uh, into, less into a less productive area. Um, what, we, what we're risking now is if we see output dropping, then we find that our costs are, are, are then applied to a, to a smaller number of outputs. If that happens, the inflation goes up. We find that um, if we just look at what's happening to fuel price, 
that's that's going to be very bad for productivity, for, for, for producer inflation. It'll ripple through into consumer inflation. And with that in mind, it's, it's hard to see how we can get consumer confidence. Confidence is what we need more than anything else. For consumers to say, I feel good about my job, I know it's safe and secure, I know that if I work harder, I'll get paid more, I'll go out and buy a new car or whatever it is, we don't see that at the moment. We can see how uh, these sort of sectors are moribund right now. And then if we look at uh, business confidence, gee, Saki's uh, business confidence index came out yesterday, uh, the lowest it's been in six months. I thought this was a recovery. And business confidence is the lowest in six months. Heck, what does that say? doesn't say we're going to get much new development and job creation and all those good things that we're looking for. I think we're heading for a slower economy and, as I said, the, the, the terrifying word here is, is a possibility that we go into, not necessarily a recession, but that we, we have that slow economy and higher prices and that's a worst case outlook. Okay, so let's go on from there. Is there an alternative? Of course there's always an alternative. We'll say sense should prevail. Well, hopefully. We're we'll be looking at what we need, and we've been discussing this with the ANC. This is from the uh, Institute of Race Relations, and they still talk to us. There's a good thing. They phone up sometimes and say, come and speak to us. Sure, you say, delighted. Um, and uh, have you seen the economy? Yes, we said, that's what we expected. But it's not improving. We didn't expect it to, we'll say to them. So what do you got to do? And we go through this each time. Public-private partnerships. Education. Do something about, about preparing school and university leavers for taking on a job. Don't come with a degree which has got sort of zero earnings power improvement potential. We, we, I was at a conference about two years ago, a year and a half ago, and Mr. Ramaphosa was speaking there. And what he said is we're going to do something about education because that's one of the roots of the problems that we face here. What we're going to do is take 20 graduates, take top students, send them to Europe, and we're going to enroll them for PhDs in education. They will take the educational center and lead it ahead with a whole new structure, and these people will then be prepared to push our labor force to more productivity. So uh, I said to him, and uh, when, when they've got that, uh, before they've even re returned with their degrees, their PhDs, how do you know they will return? You know, they may just look around and say, heck, here we are. We've got globally recognized qualifications now, we're, we, we quite like it here. Look at our job prospects, look at the, the advantages that there are to being here. Maybe they won't come back. Now for an insight into the man, this is interesting, he said, they will because we will tell them. We will tell them what to do, we will tell them where to go and when we want it and they will do it. That doesn't sound very, very it's not a very friendly manner and I don't know if that is going to be a, a positive, productive uh, strategy but you know, at least it's, it's recognition that there has to be change. In the short term, I think we'll probably get more political uh, in interference. They call, they call it participation. Uh, hopefully logic will prevail, but don't see that happening too soon. We can't risk, they can't risk too much of a change in voting patterns. Not when we're less than a year or about a year away from another general election where they have been lo losing support over the last couple of years. All right, so what's their preference? The worrying point is, there's a large point, large sector of the ANC which promotes socialism, centralized control, especially the, the SACP and the trade unions. They want to, they have been marginalizing the private sector. 
and just look at what's happened to the mining industry. It was the base of our economy a couple of decades ago, in fact, even later than that, and now it's contracting. You know, uh, about 30 years ago, we had 500,000 workers in the mining sector. It's down to 100,000 now. See, that's not progress. We, how can we grow an economy when your potential buying public is shrinking like that? There is an alternative, and I pro proposed that also to Mr. Ramaphosa, and that was to say, well, why not take all those school leavers who are probably not going to, as they all want to do, become doctors and lawyers and so on, or even actuaries. Heck, that's a long studying process, and it takes a lot of time. No, they want decency. They want the right to earn a living, support their family soon. So we said, why not reintroduce apprenticeships, reopen the trade schools, te teach a person to lay a straight row of bricks. And what, he, what will he do? This man will go to his mother, with whom he's probably been staying all his life, and saying, I'll build you a room. Just help me to, to afford the materials. When his neighbor sees that he can do that, he'll ask him to do the same. And so it will mushroom. In no time at all, he'll want somebody to mix the dagger, he'll want somebody to push the wheelbarrow, and uh, when that happens, you've then got three people employed. So I suggested to Mr. Ramaphosa that this was a, a quicker solution than the one he thought. And he just said, it's not our view. We prefer top-down and not bottom-up. And we think that that's how we'll be successful. Well, we'll see time will tell, but it's going to take a long time. And I think that we have to, to recognize that in the meantime. The economy is going to go quite slowly. But what has government been doing? We have to say, little credit is given to them for what they have accomplished. If you just look at formal housing, in 1996, there were 5 million units. Uh, in, uh, in, in, in 1996, yes. There are now 13.2 million. So it's gone from 5 million to 13 million. That's a huge number of, of dwellings provided. It's, it's a large part of it is because of the mass urbanization there has been. Electricity. Uh, there are 58% of, of units were electrified in, 1990, in 1996, it's now 90%. Um, it was water provision, it's gone from 82% to 88%. Sanitation, and here's something, it's gone from 62% to 80%. But we're still at unacceptable levels. Just this is not a, a pretty subject, but recently there was at, at a school in, in uh, close to Kharteng, there was a child, a five-year-old, who fell into an open pit latrine and drowned. That's, can you imagine anything more horrific than that? How can we have schools like that? That just shows how far behind we're dropping in our infrastructure spend. It's got to be improved. And that way, we've got to find a way of growing the economy, growing jobs. Where are we now? This is a main road in Kharteng. On the right side, oh, it's on... Uh, Yes, on, 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 my, on, on your right side here, there is uh, uh, shack land, where you can see those are home-built shacks, built with wood and iron and, and, and uh, flimsy units, and separated only by one road in, suburb, in suburbia, middle-class suburbia. How long do you think it's going to take? Because these people say, enough, we cannot carry on like that. We're not, we're not given basic human rights we're walking across that road and we're going to take some of what we see there. Expropriation without compensation is a very real threat. Just look at our major holiday resorts. You'll see multi-million rand homes there which are occupied for two or three weeks a year. And the other side of the main road is like that shack land. If that, if that situation remains, I'm afraid we're heading for a lot more. Are we risking 
a lot more social strife. And we've got to get away from that. We've got to grow the economy in a practical way. And I think that means a lot more private sector participation. All right. So just let's look over time. Uh, what we've seen over time, 1980, going back to 1985, bad old days, a move from the political far right to the centre. And that did save us to some extent from isolation. From 2015 to 2019, we had a, a shift from the ANC's initial very far left towards the centre. Um, th that was a positive move. If we move back further left, it would be an e economic disaster. You'd have socialism, communism, central planning. It's a failed model. Look at USSR. Look at Zimbabwe. You know, but it's not in inevitable. It can change. And I think the fact is we're going through a process of change. Remember Mr. Macmillan's speech to the South African Parliament. The winds of change are blowing through Africa. We, we believe and we hope we're right that they're blowing through South Africa again at this moment. What's the risk? This is the Venezuelan Bolivar. Remember Venezuela? They became one of the major oil producers in no time at all. And why are they not anymore? Because the huge reserves of oil that they have are, cost them about $100 a barrel to produce. But the price at the moment is 70 That just shows. And it's been down to 50 in the meantime. They're out of business, but they carried on spending. Now, if you look at that lower point where there's an arrow there, that was when there were 100, in the beginning of that year, 100 bolivars to one US dollar. If you look at the top, right at the top, it's the, the higher arrow, there was, uh, that was 650 bolivars. From 100 to 650 in one year. Think of what it did to inflation. The country man ran out of money. Uh, it's ground to a halt. Maybe it'll come back now if the oil price goes to $100, but that brings huge risks as well. That is what happens when the, the world abandons you and you, try to, and, and you try to carry on spending. It shows what, how much has to be done, and we've shown this to the powers that be, uh, and, and they do, I think there are those that realize that change is vitally necessary. Hopefully it will happen. So we said, do we have a recommendation? And I think it's important. Yes, we've got to have more business leaders included in private pu public partnerships. And of course, there's a good example of that. Look at Mr. Ramaphosa's uh, group who are, who are looking for funds worldwide, looking for $100 million. Uh, in global terms, it may not be a lot, it would mean a huge amount to us. Um, I think that they've sent some of their group are from the private sector. That's a good sign. They've got to realize, they do realize some of them, the destructive reality of recent policies, uh, policies. They are prepared to consider adopting the possibilities of the National Development Plan, moving away from the National Democratic Revolution. That word revolution doesn't go, well, go down well amongst uh, global capitalists. There has to be, and I think there is, uh, support for the leadership change. However, Mr. Ramaphosa's position isn't absolutely secure. You know, he got in by a very small ma majority. And that, that, that's the, his own party has to support him in that. And I think that may take a little bit of a while. Uh, if we have to say, where do we see the, how desperate this, this need for change is? Look at the unemployment rate. Officially, 27.7%, the expanded rate. That is, include all those people who have given up looking for jobs because there just aren't any or they can't find any. And that makes it up to 36.6%. Look at the youth who stand around kicking cans around the road and nothing else to do, and officially, uh, officially the, 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 uh, 
the, 50, the 25 to 34 year old group is 32% unemployed. The expanded one, those who've given up looking no longer register, are, is, that makes it up to 41%. But at the IRR, we have done our own survey, and we have come out with a figure that's over 50%. Are these people going to wait indefinitely, or are we going to find them violent demonstrations? Well, that remains a possibility, and I, I think it, it, could, it could possibly happen. What I would have to say is, Look at what happened in North Africa. Look at that incredible young man in Tunisia who set himself alight. He was harassed by the authorities. He was given a terrible time. All he was doing was trying to sell some fruit and vegetables on the, on the pavement and he couldn't get permission, couldn't get licenses. Anyway, and this started the, 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 the winds of change there in the North African spring. And, uh, you know, is it going to happen here? I don't think so, but that is a risk. That shows what can happen in Africa if attention isn't paid to what needs to be done. And with communication being what they are nowadays, uh, it, it really does say that uh, we have to be very much aware of this. So let's have a look then. Let's turn rather uh, something a little more po positive, investment outlook, financial markets. Uh, if we have a look at the JSE, it obviously reflects the state of the economy. No, not only. It reflects capital flows, looking for safe havens. Now. Why do we, is it, fairly, is it fairly rated at the moment? I don't think so. If you have a look at the PE, the price earnings ratio on the, on the all the all share index as a whole, uh, long term, the, it's average 14.5%, 14.5 times. It's been in a range uh, between nine and 21. Where are we now? At 20 times. That says our market is very expensive. Can we expect it to carry on going up? It would be unreasonable to expect the market as a whole to go a lot higher, and with that in mind, where are you going to get your new investment from? It may be very difficult, and I think that uh, despite, despite the, uh, the risks involved, we may find that we're running into problems in raising capital. I think as far as interest rates here are concerned, uh, we've seen the American rates starting to, to, to turn up, there's no doubt about that. The European rates, I think, are hanging on by a thread for their first rate hike. Uh, as far as we're concerned, I think that we've seen the last rate cut in the current cycle. I think the next rate hike is likely to be uh, in the second half of this year, or certainly by next year. It may be difficult to, to, to get it through before the election. But uh, in that respect, I was, I was at the Reserve Bank recently, and uh, I was promoting this view and low, uh, uh, an estimate between no and low growth, higher interest rates and whatever, and the governor said, no, it's too, too fierce for us. We, 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 don't, we can't go along with that. But interestingly, after this meeting, one of the deputy governors came along, and when a deputy governor comes along and pats you on the shoulder, you pay attention. And he said, you know, Ian, yes, it, we can't officially go along with what you say, but I think your view has merit. That's quite a lot of official support for this view that we've just said. We think the interest rate cycle is, is turning. We think that it's unlikely we can get into a solid uh, ongoing uh, growth for, uh, forecast. So uh, I would say there's some acknowledgement amongst those that understand economic principles as to what's happening. All right, let's go on from there then. Uh, what we have to say then is um, as far as uh, the outlook is concerned, there are quite a lot of positive factors. There's a heck of a lot. Just look at the, uh, the infrastructure that we have. Look at the roads. People come here and they, 
come to the Saint and CBD, and I said, look at the roads, look at the cranes. What do you mean we're near recession? Look at the cranes, that means there's a whole lot of development. There have got to be opportunities aligned to those. And, and that's, that, that's a, an interesting comment there. Look at what South Africa has done. As I said, there's the roads. If they want to speak to the, to the heads of any global companies, come to this uh, square kilometer, and they're here in, the, in their marble palaces, but they're, they're get-at-able. It's possible to contact them. We've got first-class uh, telephones. We've got lots of first-class financial structures. We were until recently amongst the top performing banking sectors in the world. Um, I think looking at all of that, saying to a foreigner, you know, you want to phone your office, where is it, Frankfurt or Rio de Janeiro or wherever, pick up the phone and dial the number. He said, you can't do that anywhere else in Africa. So we have got some advantages. We have got the ability to work in Africa at Africa's difficult conditions and prove we can thrive. Look at what we've done in mining and many other areas as well. So, and in addition to that, I must say, I can say that in Kharting, I was in Cape Town two days ago, can't mention it to them. But we've got the best climate in the world. Uh, we've got more golf courses in Kharting than any other similar-sized geog geographic area in the world. Heck, what more do foreign businessmen want? That's a lot of it, and access to the captains of industry. Seriously, though, uh, I think foreign capital inflows will take time. I don't think we're going to see too much of a change before the middle of next year. Hell, that's a year away is a long time in our history. But with that election, with, with this constant talk, worrying talk about expropriation without compensation, we've got to get over that hurdle. Uh, if, I won't say if. When, when we do get over that, I think that we will be in a good position to exploit the resources of Africa, to lead a move into exploiting the, the most undeveloped area in the world, six, uh, many millions of consumers right here. So it is, does say, what's, going, what's the spark? What's going to make it happen? Commodities revival, we've got to find that, that that's that taking place. If and when that does, no, when that does, I think we'll see an improvement in our economy. Until then, we've just got to work on, on efficiency. So, uh, uh, in summary, short to medium term outlook, as we are. We can't see too much change. We can see ourselves remaining a half to one and a half percent growth rate for a year, two years maybe, maybe even a little bit longer. In the longer term, as I say, sense should prevail. This is Africa. You can't rely on it. But there we are. It happened in the past. We've seen recoveries. Look at what we had 2004, 2008. An average growth rate of 5%, led by a commodities boom. Will that happen? I don't know. But look at the alternative. The alternative is something like Zimbabwe. Failed states. Absolute control by government over a bankrupt economy. And that cannot be prepared to, to sharing in democracy and, and experiencing chaos and mass immigration. I do think that sense will prevail, and that's what we're relying on. There we are. Positive note at last. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> Any questions? How are we for time? Okay. Are we stunned? Good morning. I hoped I didn't need to stand. <laughs> Um, my name is Memory Zimba. Uh, I think this comment is in my capacity as president-elect of Asaba, uh, not representing Sorry, my... president of... President-elect of the Association of South African Black Actuarial Professionals. Thank you. So I... At the start of your presentation, you made a comment about inequality. 
And then I felt during the course of the presentation that your comments uh, as to where we are were based on a developed country as opposed to a developing country. If I look back at uh, history, and I stand to be corrected, all these countries that are developed went through some of the pains that we're going through currently. I think without addressing inequality, the, for example, you made comment of somebody willing to work for 50 rand for a whole day. That those are unfair practices. However, those have been, um, I suppose they've come across because of the history of South Africa. So land um, expropriation without compensation. That is as a result of the slowness of transformation. So I respect your experience, but I would want, um, for example, a comment on in the context of transformation and growing our economy, and uh, in the context of the fact that professionals, qualified professionals, are leaving government and coming to the private sector. Then when they come into the private sector, they are then faced with these institutional structures that prevent their development. And so you have all those issues. So in the context of a developing country, what are some of the solutions economically that we can look forward to? Phew, that's not a question. <laughs> anyway. Let's just say, I'm going to start halfway through, to how much time will we need? When Portugal moved away from being, uh, uh, having a, was it Salazar, was a dictator, moved from a dictatorship into democracy. They said, how long will this take? Oh, just a few years. They turned out it took 20 years before they saw reasonable progress. And based on that, it was, it was thought that uh, the expectations to move from that sort of dictatorship type situation which we were at, and I have to say personally, I was violently against, um, they expect to take about two generations. How long is a generation? 20 to 30 years. That's what we're looking at. Uh, I would also like to point out that uh, I hear you talking about the, the uh, Black Persons Actuarial Society, and I have a problem with that, I just want to mention that, is that uh, I'm an African but I'm black, and so I'm not black, is what some of my colleagues have said to me. I want to join these African associations. My family came here in 1820. I don't have an alternative. I want to and must make it work, and I believe in a democratic process. That answers some of that. That's a personal view. Um, how do we get over ex extortion? People being paid ridiculous amounts for a day's labor. Well, yes, we can put in minimum wages but we really feel that the risk in having a minimum wage is if it's set at a level which is not always affordable, not easily affordable by the employer, what we may find is that we make even more people unemployed or unemployable. And this is the risk that we run, but it's a fine balancing act, and I'm not so sure uh, how, how, how well we're doing in that respect. But it has to be tried, and as I said, better to have widespread low employment than none at all. There was a case just a couple of years ago uh, in a textile factory in KZN, and the inspectors were going around to make sure everybody got the, the trade union's recommended minimum wage. Well, the workers said, you're not coming here, we get paid less than that, but we all get paid every month on time. That's the workers' preference. We've got to find a balance there, and no, it won't be easy. So I can't say, you know, we need new... We need new hard and fast rules. It's got to be an attitudinal one of fair play. Will it happen? Well, time will tell. 
Uh, hi there, Peter Carswell. Um, thank you for a very interesting talk. I've got two things that I'd like to, uh, to throw in. Uh, the first one, uh, when you talked about the growth in GDP versus the growth in population, I just want to know... Sorry, excuse me. You said uh, growth in GDP or...? Uh, growth in GDP and comparing that against the growth in population oh, in, your, in your conclusion that we're moving backwards. Yes. Um, is there a third factor which also looks at how our inequality is changing? And my concern is that we could see a 2% growth in population and a 2% growth in GDP, but if the richer are getting richer, are we still not also moving backwards? So that's the first one which I want to throw. Could we deal with that first? Sure. Okay. Uh, I do think that if we've got economic activity reflected in GDP growth rising, we're going to have job creation. We're going to attract more capital, more activity, uh, more, more, more consumer spending, more business investment, uh, a virtuous circle. So I think it should happen. Uh, yeah, uh, I suppose the question is, does it need to be matching? or is, oh, yes. there, is, is there a certain margin that we need to be exceeding in order to actually see real growth on the ground? Or, or is it sufficient that we're growing at the same level as the, as the growth in the population? We have to, we have to exceed that uh, because we've got a backlog to make up. We've got to overcome that unemployment level. And, and our view at the RR is that the unemployment, official unemployment stats underquote what the real situation is. There are just so many people. You see them outside the builder's warehouse or, or, or organizations like that, holding up a sign, a painter, plumber, whatever. You know, are they registered? Are, they, are, are, are their numbers counted? We don't know, but we, we, we suspect that they are not. So that's why we think that we've got to find jobs creation is the biggest challenge that we face as a country. If we can get over that, we can get activity going, we can get uh, returns going, and I think that that will mean we have to have uh, uh, growth above that employment growth level. All right, and the second one which I wanted to ask you about, um, your comment about uh, when you're talking about the gardener and you know, said speak to the workers. My, the initial thing that, uh, that jumped to mind for me was do we want to speak to the workers or do we want to speak to the unemployed? And in particular there, what is, the, what is your view on the role of trade unions insofar as they are there to protect their existing workers and to raise the standards for existing workers and not to bring in more employment in the economy. What we have regrettably conclusion, conclusion that we've got to is that the leaders of the trade unions are very much self-centered. Their own, their own uh, circumstances have improved immeasurably, particularly when compared to the workers, and we don't believe that the workers' uh, conditions are their first priority. So I think that that's why we have to speak to the workers themselves. And, you know, it's fair play to some extent. Man's prepared to work, I'm prepared to pay. Let's negotiate, but let's be fair. There's, there's got to be some sort of reason in between there. Thank you very much. Uh, with that, we, we're out of time. I think we would have liked to, to have taken quite a few more questions. Um, we really, um, really benefit from your wisdom and your knowledge, so thank you very much. It was really a privilege to have you here. And uh, just allow me to give you a small gift, just to say thank you from the Actuarial Society. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. With that, uh, I would like to hand over to Nicolas um, Creer, who will be um, leading the um, TCF panel discussion. Um, he'll, he'll introduce the, the panel members, but from my side, I would just like to thank him for being willing to, to chair the session, and we're looking forward to the discussion that will ensue. Thank you very much. <laughs>